Let's sing it this way as worship one more time. Oh, you alone are worthy. See, when I went to church as a boy, we sang songs about God, which is good, but it's even better to sing songs to God. And that's what worship is. Let's do it one more time, Pastor. You alone. Just reach your hands out to heaven with me. You alone are worthy. You know, you'll never be happy in life until you're a worshiper of the one true God. We were created to worship God, not just a duty or an obligation to go to church, but to worship him. And it's, he reminds us every day of our life that we can't live without him. You got to sleep every day, eat a couple times every day, uh, funeral processions go by every day. All these things remind us is we can't live without God. And then when we realize that, I mean, oh, then we want to give him the worship because he's the one that holds our life in his hands. Come on, give him one more good round of applause today. And you may be seated. Give your neighbor a high five. Tell him you're looking good today. 2 Samuel chapter 11 is where we're going to go. 2 Samuel chapter 11. How many have done all your Christmas shopping? Wave your hand at me. You're provoked anger and envy in the rest of us. How many hadn't bought a present yet? Let me see your hand. Okay, you're in the group with me, so we're going to make it. 2 Samuel chapter 11. I want to pick up where I left off a couple of weeks ago in a message about David. The Bible describes him a man after God's own heart, but I entitled the message, The Big No-No. Because not only do we learn the good things about David, but we learn what to do when we make a mistake. And how many can say, I make a lot of them? Yeah. And there's a right way and there's a wrong way to respond to God when we mess up. And we're going to look at David's life this morning, kind of two parts to the message. The first part will be how he responded the wrong way. And then we'll take a peek, which is hopefully the most meaningful thing to you, is how we respond the right way. And the biggest truth I want to communicate to you this morning is God wants you to run to him when we mess up. Don't run away from him, because that's the way to get our lives back together in the Lord. Second Samuel chapter 11, verse 2. One evening, David, he was the king, couldn't sleep, so he was walking around on the roof of his palace, and he saw a woman bathing. I remember a couple of weeks ago, it was at that point we talked about temptation. And how many know we learned about how to avoid the big no-no, how to avoid temptation, how to set up some boundaries and our lot different things about life. But he found himself in the situation, and rather than avoiding it, he went after it. Verse 3, David sent someone to find out about her. And the man said, isn't this Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Now, Uriah was one of David's buddies. David was a king, but he was also a military leader. The nation was at war, and everybody else was out fighting, including Uriah, but David stayed home. Now, the story unfolds, verse 4, David sent messengers to get her, and he slept with her. And the woman conceived and sent word to David, saying, I am pregnant. Everybody say, uh-oh. I mean, no. Sometimes, you know, you can mess up and you kind of get away with it. It seems like no bad things happen and nobody knows about it and you're on down the road. But sometimes when you make a mistake, it's going to follow you. And I'll suggest to you that when I mean it's going to follow you, it will always follow you. But sometimes it is more apparent than other times. Now, here's the word of encouragement this morning. David was one of the godliest guys in the Bible. And the New Testament calls him a man after God's own heart. 
which simply means he loved God. He wanted to please God. And aren't you glad we don't have to be perfect to follow God? Come on, everybody said amen on that one. And it's one of the tensions in the Bible. I, I, want, uh, I want to be the holy person God wants me to be. The Bible says, be holy as I am holy. Without holiness, no man will see the Lord. But the same Bible also talks about the failures of one of its greatest uh, men, the, uh, Paul the Apostle, when he said, the things I don't want to do, I do. But the things I want to do, I, you know, I don't do. So this is great tension in the Christian life. We know we should do the right and live the right way, but invariably we make mistakes, we mess up, and it's a struggle. Well, here's the message of the Scripture is when you mess up, God wants you to run to Him. You see, in a perfect world, we avoid temptation. In a perfect world, when the David sees the Bathsheba, he goes back to his own house, you know, and, and uh, he avoids it. But in the real world we live in, we make mistakes. Now, my wife is the only almost perfect person I know. She's perfect most of the time. But me, the world I live in is a world where, listen, I do pretty good in my outside world, but my inside world, sometimes my thoughts go awry. Come on. And I find myself doing, thinking, behaving in ways that I know are unbiblical, that I know I shouldn't do. But here's the huge question. What do I do when that happens? And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning is this, this issue that we face is all people, regardless of what level of relationship we have with God, what do I do when I mess up? Do I cover it up? Do I run away from God or do I run to him? And that's the direction we're headed this morning. So let's look at David's story to see how it unfolds. Uh, verse 6, actually we're going to kind of condense the chapter in just a few verses. And this message kind of has two broad parts to it. First, we're going to look at David's first response, is he covered it up. When he messed up, he ran away from God. He tried to build this big, big, you know, cover-up scheme. And the second part of the message is when he actually uh, reconnected with God and found God's forgiveness. And there's the, the lesson for us. Verse 6, David sent word to Joab, the military commander, send me Uriah the Hittite. Now, mind you in the story, Bathsheba... You know, he and he, they slept together. She says, I'm pregnant. And now David is trying to figure out what, I'm, what am I going to do because this is not good. Well, verse 8, uh, Uriah comes home. And then David said to Uriah, go down to your house. Here's his thought. I'm going to manipulate the situation. And Uriah's going to come home. And then he's going to go sleep with his wife. And then everybody will think it's his baby. And nobody knows. And it's all going to go away. Well, how many know it doesn't work that way most of the time? And Uriah was actually a man of character and honor because David here, while he was staying home when he should have been at war, Uriah was on the battlefront and now he comes home and this guy sleeps outside because he said, how could I go in and enjoy myself when my buddies are out on the battlefield? So Uriah basically, uh, that didn't work. Verse 13, then David strategized again. He makes him drunk. So he said, hey, okay, let's eat dinner together. We'll bring out the wine after the second or third bottle. Surely he's going to go home and he's going to go with his wife, but he doesn't do it again. And verse 27, the cover-up reaches an apex. Adultery then becomes murder in verse 14. David wrote a letter to Joab, and can you imagine this? Your friend Uriah, you've written a letter, and likely he's the carrier back to the battleground, and the letter says to the commander, put him in the forefront of the hardest fighting that he may be struck down and die. Now, that's a pretty, pretty es tough escalation, but that's the way it works. In verse 27, everything's okay now, it seems like. Then after the time of mourning, uh, Bathsheba comes home. She becomes David's wife, and he bears a son. But notice what the Bible said. The thing that David had done, what did it do? It displeased the Lord. Now, that's the kicker right there. I mean, we may hide things from people. 
But God always knows. And God is a righteous God, and He has to deal with, with sin in our lives. But I don't know about you, but I find myself often in the pages of the Scripture. If I make a mistake sometimes, my human tendency is to do what David did, is to cover it up, to tell a lie. Does anybody find it's pretty easy to tell a lie? Come on now. We lie, we cover it up, we manipulate circumstances, uh, we delete files, uh, we try to uh, uh, get rid of Facebook posts, we try to do things to kind of cover up the mess that we've made. Uh, if we're a bully, we threaten people that, no, if you, if you tell mama that I broke that window, then I'm going to beat you up. <laughs> okay, okay. We get a little older, we get some money in our pocket, we say, hey, look, I'll give you $100 if you don't say anything, I'll give you 1000 I'll give you 10000 I'll pay you off. I'll, I'll bribe myself out of this deal. It's kind of like Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. You remember when they made the big boo-boo? We talked about them last week. God had put a boundary around this particular tree, and they ate it anyway. And God asked Adam, what's going on here, and what did he do? Pointed to his wife and said, it's her fault. And then what did Eve do when God looked at her? Well, it's the devil's fault. Well, let me know the shifting of the blame is not a solution, but that's what happens in the world we live today. It's a world of big cover-up. If you've been following what's happening in the Middle East when uh, our ambassador was killed in Benghazi, the response of our government is pretty much, in my perception, a big cover-up. Uh, nobody did anything wrong. No, it was a movie. No, it was him. No, it was her. Uh, it, how about fraud in elections? Uh, I read that in one particular precinct, there were 140% there were of the registered voters voted. Now, here's what that means. 100 people were registered to vote, or thereabouts. 140 actually voted. The election people found out, and they said, oh, well, not going to do anything. The world we live in today is a world of cover-up. But I'm going to suggest to you that there is a better way in Scripture. Because even though we might cover some of the consequences for now, how many know ultimately God was going to intervene in this thing? See, Proverbs 28, 13 gives us an, an inescapable truth. It says, he who conceals his sin will not prosper. That's right. So let's keep reading. Here's what happened to David now. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, you can't hide your mistakes from God. Sooner or later, the Lord finds out. Now, as the scripture begins to unfold, again, now we've murdered our buddy. Uh, you know, his wife is now our wife, and, you know, we're playing house and everything is great, and uh, we're getting the nursery decorated. But lo and behold, the Bible says in this next chapter that Nathan the prophet came to David. See, here's the deal. God loves us enough to stay with us. And God is not out to hurt and punish us. Please, in this message today, this is not a message to say, don't do bad. This is a message to say, there's a loving God, and that's what the cross is about. That's what this manger scene's about. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. So God's not this big bad judge ready to get us when we mess up. But when we do mess up, there's a right way to respond to God, which is to go to him. In the middle of our mess-ups is to go to God, not run away from Him. Because running away from Him, He will track us down, come on, until we deal with the thing that sent Jesus to the cross. See, there's a loving God that's motivated to, 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 to reach us. Well, anyway, so Nathan the prophet comes to David, and if you can imagine, he goes to the king, and he kind of goes in, and perhaps he's a little sheepish and, sheepish and says, King, I've got a problem, and I'm not quite sure what to do. And the king says, well, tell me about it. 
And he tells him this story, this parable. Here's what he says. He said, well, there's these two guys that I know, a rich guy and a real poor guy. And the rich guy, man, I mean, he's loaded. He's got everything. He's got money. He's got a big house. Uh, you know, he drives uh, two or three chariots. Uh, I mean, everything is going great for him. He's got, you know, all sorts of sheep and cattle. But then there's a poor guy. And this poor guy, I mean, he is dirt poor. And all he's got pretty much, as far as livestock goes, is one little lamb. And uh, this little lamb, they love it so much, it stays in their house. They cuddle with it. The kids have named it, and they rub it all the time. Well, this rich man had some friends come in for out of town during the holidays, and he wanted to prepare them dinner, and you'll never guess what he did. And David said, well, what did he do? And the guy said, he went to that poor man's house, took his lamb away from him, and then killed it and made dinner for his friends. David was aghast. You know, he's the king now. He's the ultimate authority there. And he said, who is that? That man deserves to die. That man deserves punishment. Four times as much as he did. And all of a sudden, the prophet takes his finger and points at him and said, you're the man. And nobody had to explain to David what he was talking about. Because how many know when we do the no-no, we know. I know. And when I come to prayer, it is the first thing on my mind. Because I know that I have sinned against a holy God. Well, listen, you can't hide from God. And that's the, that's the thing, if I can just encourage you in this just a second. We may think the cover-up's working. How many know just because you hadn't got caught doesn't mean you're not going to get caught? See, even Jesus said this. The things that are, are done in secret, he's going to display openly. The book of Numbers says, be sure your sin will find you out. Sooner or later, it'll track you down. If it has to wait until judgment day, come on to where we stand before God. What do you think Judgment Day is about? It's about giving an account for our sins. Now, lest you misunderstand my message this morning, I want you to, to understand two kind of concepts of God. God is a just God, which means there's consequences, but He's also a loving and merciful God. And at the stage of eternity that we live at now, I want you to imagine God's justice is like this small circle and His mercy is like this big circle. Now, think about this. You see, His justice is like this, but His mercy is like that. And as, but as long as we're running away from God when we mess up, see, we're not in a place for mercy. We're in a place where we're not going to prosper according to, to the book of Proverbs. It's just not going to happen. You cannot, you cannot live a life running from God when we do these big no-nos and think that there's going to be no consequences and we're going to avoid it. See, and just because we hadn't got caught yet doesn't mean we will. You know, most of the time, the first time you steal is not the time you get caught. Usually when you're in the newspaper for embezzling $100,000, it's been happening over several years. Usually it's not the first time you have a kiss with someone else other than your spouse. That's usually not the time you get caught. Usually it's down the road where it's got so complicated. See, so we, we live in an illusion that when we're doing wrong and running away from God and nothing, quote, bad has happened, then it must be okay. Let me tell you this. There is a better way. There is a better way to deal with our mistakes rather than running away from God, rather than concealing them, hiding and cover up. It's running to the cross. It's running to God as quick as we can get there. Come on. It is turning our hearts to Him. And notice we'll see that this is exactly what David did. Look, uh, if you like, in, in, in verse 13 of chapter 12. Now, when the prophet pointed his finger at him and said, You're the man. David, obviously convicted. But the prophet didn't stop there. The prophet was very clear. He said, Look, you had adultery. You had an affair. There's a kid, there's a kid in this thing. Uh, you murdered somebody. And then he said, The consequences are coming. 
He said, you're going you're gonna to have violence in your family all your days. He said, even the child born to you will die. And let me say this to all of us today. There's consequences to the big no-nos of life. We live in a world today that says there, there's no such thing as right and wrong. You pretty much do what you want to do. But there are consequences when we mess up. And David realized that. And when the prophet told him and said, you're the man, David's instant response was, I have sinned. Put that on the screen just to make sure. I have sinned. What verse we got there? We, verse 13. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And let me say this to you with no uh, equivocation. That is the starting place of getting back to God. See, the starting place of getting back on track is looking to God and saying, God, I've done wrong. Now, it is the turning point of this story where David, the man after God's own heart, was going the wrong way and covering it up. And all of a sudden, he begins to get back united with God. Now, let me tell you, this next few minutes are the most important part of this message because it talks about the heart of our Heavenly Father. You see, God, I said, is a just God. But before God is the just God, He is the merciful and He is the loving God. And when you look at that cross, see, I'm reminded, the Bible says, while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. Proverbs 28, 13, if you conceal your sins, you won't prosper. But then what does it say? If you confess and forsake them, you find what? Mercy. And isn't mercy what every one of us wants in the middle of our struggles? Don't every one of us want to be relieved from our guilt, relieved from our shame, not have to carry it any longer? That is exactly what the message of the cross is. That is exactly what Jesus came to do, is take our sin, take our shame, take our guilt, all the junk that's in our life, and give us a brand new start in life. And that's where it started with David. Now, let me read a scripture to you in Hebrews that is just, again, as we're talking about the heart of God towards us when we mess up. Hebrews 4, verse 15. Because, I don't know about you, but I've been a Christian a long time, over 35 years. I know the difference between right and wrong. And my conscience is still tuned into God. The problem, though, is when I mess up, it's almost like I feel as a person like I want to move away from God. It's my shame and my guilt that keep me away. And can I tell you, it is a lie from Satan. It is condemnation that he wants to beat you up. See, sin matters, but listen, forgiveness matters more. Sin is important, but listen, restoration is more important. The mercy of God is more important. Now, Hebrews 4, verse 15, uh, the book of Hebrews written to people of a Jewish understanding. The high priest was central to their faith. And what the high priest would do, and I want you to think of this with me. Many years ago, before Christ was born, the high priest was the head religious official. He was like the pope of the, of, the, uh, of the Jewish church. And once a year, he would have this ritual where he would go into the temple. And in the temple, there was a, a big curtain that separated the place where they would normally minister from the most holy place, a place where literally God would dwell. Now, you remember the old Indiana Jones movies, the Ark of the Covenant, okay? It was kind of that, that kind of look. Well, literally, behind this curtain, the presence of God was there, and it was real, and it would appear in a cloud. But once a year, the high priest would go, and he would go with blood. And what that blood would do is it would atone for the sins of the people. It would cover them up, but he would have to go every year. Now, Jesus is the high priest, and notice he went how many times? One time. And then he shed his blood, and then it's no more need for any sacrifice. But now listen to Hebrews 4.15. It says, we don't have a high priest who's unable to uh, sympathize with our weaknesses. 
but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Now, what does that mean? That means every struggle you've ever had in your life, every struggle you're dealing with now, every temptation that comes across your pathway, in some way Jesus dealt with it. So the Bible is not hiding this from, 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 from us or from the Lord, but notice what it says in verse 16. If there's one scripture you should remember today, this is the scripture. It says, in the middle of our, what's the high priest doing? Our sin and our temptation. It says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of judgment. No, that's not what it says. Let us draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So what in the world is is the Scripture talking about? Let us with confidence draw near to God. It's basically this. As soon as you mess up, as soon as you, uh, let's say you've watched a little more of a TV show than you should watch. You bunch of holy Joes, come on now. You watched a little more than you should watch, but finally you you, you hit the uh, uh, God-ordained fast-forward button. Let me tell you what this verse says. Instantly hit the freeze button, and say, Lord Jesus, I run to you right now. And I'm running to the throne of grace right now. Right with the mess that I just made and the stupidity that I just did. And I want to look to the cross of Christ, and I want to do what David did. And I just want to say to you, Lord, that I have sinned. And I want you to help me so that doesn't control my life. I'm preaching way better than you, Ray Minnie. Or maybe it was just the first service crowd that had a little problem with road rage. I mean, you know, you somebody cut you off in traffic and your first response is to wave at them with your middle finger. Come on now. <laughs> and then after you've waved at them, rather than saying, oh, blessing Jesus, you say something else over their life. Now, I'm talking about right at that moment is when you run to the throne of grace to find God's help. Listen, I want you to understand how God is. This is one of the great enigmas in the Christian experience for me is I know I'm supposed to live a holy life. I know I'm supposed to live righteously, but I just don't seem to be able to do it. I I know without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Come on, that's what the Bible says. I I know the Scripture calls us to be holy as He is holy, but I also know the struggles that we have. And Paul the Apostle, the greatest of Christians in the New Testament, said the things I don't want to do. I do them, and the things I do, I oftentimes don't want to. So there's this huge kind of mushy gray deal, and I'm just telling you in the middle of that, God says, I want you to run to me. Don't run away from me. Don't be afraid to come to me. Don't be afraid like you think, I don't know what's going on under the covers of your life. Come on. You turn the lights off. Don't think, I don't know what goes on when you're out of town. How many know it's not only in Vegas what stays in Vegas? How many know it's wherever you go when you get away, there's just a little more liberty? But I'm telling you, God knows and God is there. And God wants you to come back to Him, not run away from Him. And I'm talking to every Christian that's in this place today. You have a Heavenly Father whose love is this big and His justice is that big. Now, don't throw away His justice because it matters that you live a holy life because David shows us there will be consequences. But I'm telling you, the love of God wants to draw you rather than push you away. And I guarantee you there's people that should have been in church this morning, but because of this week, they're ashamed of their life. Come on. And they didn't even feel worthy that they could come to church. Well, you know what? None of us is worthy. Come on. What makes us worthy is what that little baby died on that cross one day and gave his life for us. And that's where our righteousness comes from. See, Christianity is not a performance-based religion. Come on. It's a grace-based religion. 
I mean, it matters to draw near to God, but we draw near to God first because we love Him, not just because we're scared of Him. We're trying to obey the rules. Now, let me keep going on this. You need to understand the heart of your Father in heaven. In Luke chapter 15, it's called the, the parable of the prodigal son. doesn't mean a whole lot, but let me, let me kind of clue you in on it. Luke 15, the story of the prodigal son, it's about a kid that basically took all dad's stuff and went away and went crazy and then came back home and how dad related to him. Well, the daddy in that story is God the Father. Now, let me see if I can make, update the parable a little bit. Let's say daddy has a business in Texarkana and it's very successful. And one of his kids wants to be a part of it. Actually, two of his kids wants to be a part of it, boy and the girl. And uh, business is going well. They're making not just some money. I mean, they're making a lot of money. The contracts are in the millions. The money in the bank is not just a couple dollars or a couple thousand. It's hundreds of thousands of dollars in the bank. Son's been with dad long enough. Now dad lets him in the business. He's the CEO or CFO. Bottom line, he, he writes checks. He signs for them. He can tap that half-million-dollar line of credit dad has. He's the one that processes all the money when it comes in. But over time, this son's heart has been drawing away to his own pleasures. And all of a sudden, on a Friday, he gets this idea. He said, I'm going to go to Vegas. And he goes down to the bank, and he signs the paperwork. He gets all the line of credit. He gets it in his account, gets it out of Dad's deal. So he empties the bank account. He borrows as much money as he can from the line of credit. And he just got a, a, the first big payment from the new contract that's coming up. He takes that, too. And then he gets on Facebook, he gets some friends, they get in this uh, stretch limo, and they're going to Vegas. And buddy, he's publishing it on Facebook. Nobody has a clue about it until Monday morning, and dad gets a call from the banker. And the banker says, uh, says uh, Tom, listen, uh, we've got a little problem here. You're, uh, uh, this monthly payment, that auto debit that's supposed to come out, the withdrawal, you know, we're, you, know you pay like whatever, say 25000 against, you know, the line of credit that's coming out of your account today, and there's no money there. So what do you mean there's no money there? I mean, there's no money there. Your son came in Friday, and he took the money, and I couldn't do anything. You were out of town. I couldn't get you. Well, get the line of credit. The line of credit tapped out too, Tom. Well, we just made a deposit that, that, that the first money on this new big project we're going to do. How about that? It's not there either. He took that too. And as soon as he hangs up with the banker, and he can't find his son there, as soon as he hangs up with the banker, then he gets a call from the lawyer. And the lawyer said, hey, these, uh, this company that you're supposed to be doing this building for, those subs need to be paid over there, and your guy can't pay them because they don't have any money in the account. I don't know what to do. I mean, no, he's got a real problem. And then he gets a call from the pawn shop because he knows a guy that worked there and said, what's going on? Your son pawned your wife's wedding ring last Friday. I, I recognize it. You know, it's this great big old diamond. It's a pear shape. And all of a sudden, now, how would you feel if you were that daddy? It would not be fun at Thanksgiving. And there wouldn't be any presents for Junior under that tree. There'd be switches because he'd been naughty and not nice. Well, the story go, would unfold. He's in Vegas, and things are not going real well. He's putting all the money on the tables. He's spending left and right. And lo and behold, he's got this idea he's going to get all his money back. And isn't that what gambling kind of does? You know, one more time, and, and then I'm going to win, then I'm going to get ahead. So he puts everything he's got left on the table, and, uh, you know, he shoots the dice, they flip the card, and they lose it all. And all of a sudden, he doesn't have any money. And the same casino that was nice to him, giving him the presidential suite, now says, oh, you're going to have to go. Your stuff's out here in a bag already. So he's out, he doesn't have any money, and that's nighttime, and it's time to go to bed, and he doesn't have a place to sleep. Listen now, he didn't have a credit card that works, so he has to find an alley somewhere and a box, and he doesn't get much sleep because uh, of all the noises that's there, and he's scared to death because he had to hock his pistol, he doesn't have a knife, he doesn't have anything, he's scared to death. 
And then he's hungry when he wakes up in the next morning. And there's a McDonald's next door. He's been smelling the food, but he didn't have any money. So he goes to McDonald's and he sits down at a table figuring out what he's going to do. And somebody sits down and they've got, you know, a couple breakfast burritos and they went to get their coffee. And he gets those breakfast burritos and then he runs out the door and he goes back in this little alley and he takes a bite. And it's almost like he heard Nathan the prophet. And the Bible says he came to himself. And here's what he said. They'll put it on the screen. He said, I'm going to go home to my daddy, who's a picture of God the Father. I'm going to go home to my father. And the first thing I'm going to say is, I have sinned. Put it on the screen. I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm not worthy to be called your son anymore. Just make me, let me just carry the trash out. And you know what daddy said? Daddy, when he gets off out of the 18-wheeler that he got back to Texarkana on, and he's starting to go home through the neighborhood, and, and he sees his house at the end of the road, and his dad happens to be on the front porch because dad is rocking and waiting on him. And as soon as he starts coming, dad gets up out of his chair. And dad's running to him, not because he wants to beat him up, but dad's ready to put his arms around him. Now, now look, did dad care that he wasted his money? Absolutely. Did, it, did dad shame? Come on, when it was on Facebook, all the fun he was having? Absolutely. But I'm telling you, dad loved him more. Come on. And his sin couldn't push him away from his heavenly father. You see, God is a just God, but the justice of God is not in our actions. It's nailed to the cross of Christ. Come on. And our sins were placed on the cross with Christ. And this just God, when he looks at us, that's where justice comes from. Now, I'm t that's the nature of God. And let me tell you this. You don't have to live with shame and guilt. Now, let me say, it matters when we sin. It shouldn't just be a flippant thing that we sin and, oh, oh, the preacher just said, tell God, and it's okay. No, I'm not saying, you know, sin and then go do it again. I'm saying there should be remorse in our lives, but God is not out to hurt us. God wants to restore us, but it starts when we tell God, I have sinned. Now, look, let me tell you how to, how to get right with God in this last moment or two. The first thing and the most important thing is you need to agree with God that what you did was wrong. Second Timothy says all Scripture is inspired by God. And then basically it says that the Scripture shows us what's right and what's wrong. The Scripture corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what's right. Now in progressive America today, we don't have a clue what's right and wrong anymore. There's no longer that we're taught in our schools. There's no such thing as absolute, eternal, abiding truth. Can I tell you? They're lying to us. The progressive world said if it feels good, do it. And if somebody disagrees with you, then they're judging you, and they shouldn't do that. And they're probably a racist, too. That's the latest term that we use now to make everything just be quiet. Because I have the right to do what I want to do. Can I tell you? The starting place for getting right with God is agreeing with God that what I did was wrong. And we live in a world today that doesn't want to hear this. I'm following a court case in, uh, in California. California legislature and the government signed a bill basically that forbids counselors from counseling kids under 18 that if they're in the homosexual lifestyle and they want to get out of it, now the law says you can't do that. And basically, the state is basically saying, look, parent, you don't have any rights here. This is the way this kid was created. Now, listen, the lawyers representing the state basically said that, look, all modern uh, science tells us that you can't change your sexual orientation, that it is perfectly legitimate to however you feel. Now, look, that's just one example. But I'm telling you, I don't care if all the psychiatrists in the world say something is wrong. If the Bible says it's right, I'm going with the Bible. 
And if they say it's right and the Bible says it's wrong, I'm going with the Bible. And that is a root problem in America today. But if you want to run to God, it starts by agreeing with God that what I have done is wrong. I have sinned. Now, when I say run to God and I look at the cross, see, that's the place that our sins were dealt with. That's what Jesus Christ did. Let me tell you how you give your sins over to God, how you find forgiveness from God. It's basically, you can remember this phrase, uh, admit it, quit it, and forget it. Let's say it again. Admit it, quit it, and forget it. You Bible scholars know it as confession, repentance, and forgiveness. Forgiveness washes your sins away because though you may remember what you did wrong, you know the Bible says God removes our sins as far as the east is from the west. It is infinity that God takes your sins away when we confess them before God. 1 John 1.9 says this, and I want you to stay with me on this one. This is a powerful, powerful verse. It says, if we confess our sins, God is what? Faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from some of our unrighteousness. God is faithful and just to wash away uh, the sins that weren't real bad, but the really bad ones you've got to live with the shame the rest of your life. Now, am I talking to the right crowd tonight? Because I can tell you, I understand this. I live this. There was a time back in my earlier Christian life where I carried something from my childhood that I was ashamed of for 15 years and had never told a soul because I believed it was too big for God to forgive. Come on. Can I tell you, it's a lie of the devil. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we, not other, other people, if we. There's a false teaching circulating in the body of Christ that you don't have to confess your sins. If you said it one time, that's it. Well, listen, he said, if we confess our sins, which is what David did, which is what the prodigal son did, and that's where the turnaround started. God, I've done wrong. Would you forgive me? And then it says, God is faithful and just. So how could my confession be justice for what I did wrong? Christ took it. Christ paid the penalty, and I don't have to pay it any longer. And I'm telling you, friends, God is a merciful God, and what He wants us to do is run to Him, not run away from Him. Come on, give Him a big hand this morning. Let me, let me close with this, Second Samuel chapter 12, and I want you to hear this, is that God doesn't throw us away when we mess up. Let me say it again as Pastor Nick comes. God doesn't throw us away when we mess up. You say, how do you know that? Well, back in the story, 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 24, it said, Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba. She bears a son and called his name Solomon, and the Lord loved him. Now, leave that up just a second. Then. Then after what? Then after the baby born in adultery died. After this horrible consequence from the choice they made, this baby died. And you would think this man, who's been the epitome of a righteous leader, God should throw him away. That's the way we feel in our performance-based society. That love is conditional. You love me, I'm going to love you back. You don't love me, I won't love you. So we just kind of feel like that's the way God is. But that's not the way He is. Right in the middle of the mess up, as soon as they turn back to God, then... David comforts his wife. And then this next child is born is Solomon, who the Bible says was the wisest man that ever lived other than Jesus. He was a king in the nation of Israel. So it's almost like they messed up horribly, but when he turned back to God, 
God said, I'm going to put you back on track now. And I'm going to fix what was broken. But it gets better than that. If you read in the New Testament in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 1, verse 6, they'll put that on the screen. The genealogy of Jesus Christ. The list of people who can be traced directly from Abraham, even Adam, even God himself, to the birth of the Savior of the world. Jesse was the father of... And David was the father of... Solomon by the wife of Uriah. So what does that mean? That mean, uh, means arguably one of the greatest honors a person could have was to be included in the lineage of the Savior of the world. Now look, if God was able to do that for David, don't you think he might do the same thing for you and me? If he was able to forgive the sin of the prodigal son who spent it all in Vegas... Don't you think he could forgive you and give you a new start? If he didn't want you to be the one that carried out the trash in the prodigal son, don't you think he's willing to give you another chance at a fullness of life? Don't you think if there's a guy named Saul in the New Testament? I think about this. This guy's going out and killing Christians. Doesn't get any worse than that. He's going into houses and here's basically what he'd say. How old's your little boy? Eight years old. Cute little boy. Imagine that little boy, Saul, finds out that you and your husband are Christians. And the Roman soldiers go to the door, the enforcers. And Saul is standing right there and said, these people are followers of Jesus, and Jesus is a king other than Caesar. And if they don't express their allegiance to Rome, you take their baby. And they take that screaming baby out of that house, and that Roman soldier puts the spear in Mama's chest and said, we're taking him unless you renounce. That's what Saul did. But all of a sudden, when he wasn't even looking for it, he's going to kill some more Christians to divide some more homes. And all of a sudden, there's this light that's brighter than the sun. And it's like Jesus is saying, hey, down there. And he's blinded. And he didn't say, what's up? He said, who are you, Lord? And that voice said, I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting. And after just a few chapters of the Bible, this guy who used to murder Christians is now preaching the gospel. Come on, he wants destroyed. I'm telling you, you serve a redeeming God. You serve a God that can fix what's broken in your life. You serve a God that cares for you. You are not serving a throwaway God. You're not like the, the, the little plastic container when you go to McDonald's or Subway's and buy your sandwich and throw the sack away. God doesn't throw us away like that. Come on. God cleans us up. He washes us up in the sink. He doesn't stick you in the dishwasher. He washes you up. And He clothes you with His righteousness. Doesn't your Bible say, I am the righteousness of God in Christ? And you say, but I mess up. But he forgives your mess up. And it's his blood that makes us clean and makes us whole. Does it matter when we sin? Absolutely. Could a baby die? Yes. Could violence follow you? Yes. So how many know it's better not to do the big no-no? But when you do it, you need to look to the one who can wash it away and get you back on track. Come on, give Jesus a big hand today. Lord, you are worthy. And we thank you. We thank you, we thank you, we thank you. We thank you. Go ahead and stand to your feet today. We're going we're gonna to close with, with a worship song and in, in prayer. Praise the Lord. Now, I want you to stay tuned in just a second. Because there's a lot of people here that the Holy Spirit wants to make touch in a very real way now. 
There's a lot of people here that the Holy Spirit is about to take some scissors and cut away their past. There's a lot of people here that he's going to bury your sins in the sea of forgetfulness. And you've got faith right now to believe it. It was accomplished on the cross. But until this point, the devil has been lying to you. There's a lot of people that are here today that need a, a relationship with the real God and to know they have a heavenly father. And we're just going to begin to sing right now. It's from Psalm 51. It's a psalm that David wrote right after he fell with Bathsheba. And just close your eyes and let it just be a private moment between you and your heavenly father. And just let the Holy Spirit touch your heart and speak to you. Just reach out to him this morning. If you're wanting to give him your shame, your guilt, your condemnation, just slip your hands to heaven and receive his forgiveness as we confess our sins, faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us. He wants relationship with us. He desires us. Welcome, Holy Spirit. Thank God. I feel like the Holy Spirit wants to tell some people that His love is greater than your sin. His love is greater than your mistake. That His love for you is beyond words. And He wants to wash you and cleanse you. And He wants to take away your shame. He wants to take away your guilt. He wants to take away the, the memories of the past, the blood of Christ would wash and cleanse. He's just waiting for you to say to him, Lord, I have sinned. And then by faith, push away shame and receive the cleansing, the forgiveness of Christ because he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, you're worthy. They're just going to play this song through another time or two, but I want to make a personal opportunity for prayer for your life. Now, we hadn't prayed in the service today, so we'll pray about anything in the world. You may have some big bills coming up. You may have some family issues, whatever it may be. How I many know everybody needs prayer? I need prayer. Please pray for me every day. But you've got some things you've got to face out in the world. You need God to help you do it, and, and you don't know what to do. Let somebody pray for you, that step of faith. But I believe in particular there's many people that God has been speaking to in this message that the Holy Spirit has been nudging you in some areas. I can't think of a better way to close the deal with God is to come up for prayer. Particularly you that may struggle with shame or guilt. You want to bring something to the altar of God and let God have it. Let somebody pray for you. Maybe you're here today and, and, and you don't really understand the forgiveness and love of God. Maybe you're like me, like I was as a boy. I, I went to church because Mom made me go, but I didn't have a relationship with God. I, I didn't know God wanted to be my personal Savior. 
I didn't know that I could know him. I thought I just went to church and learned about him if I wanted to or was in trouble. I'm telling you, you can have a relationship with God. You can personally know the Christ who we celebrate at Christmas. Let somebody pray with you. Whatever it may be this morning, you can have a touch from God. So we're just going to sing this through one more time, and our prayer team is going to come. And I want to just encourage you, if you want prayer, just slip right out with them out of your chairs. Our prayer team is coming to the front right now. And you just slip out right behind them as we're singing, and let this be your opportunity to make a connection with God. I love you very much. Thank you so much for coming. You bring a friend next week. Let's begin to sing again. We'll sing it through once or twice and then dismiss. But you come and let somebody pray for you.